We're continuing our series today in Romans, and we're in chapter 4. We'll be looking at uh, the balance of the chapter. We were in verses 1 to 8 last time, so today it's verses 9 to 25. The series title is Paul's Gospel from Faith for Faith. Paul had been saved by faith dramatically, uh, on the road to Damascus, he was humbled, and, and then in the following uh, weeks, he was taught the truth about Christ, the Christ he met in person, the Christ who commissioned him to take the gospel to the, the Gentiles, to the nations. We're going to hear more about how he, his heart for the gospel amongst all the nations shaped his ministry. I've entitled this sermon today, Remember the Facts About Faith. Remember the facts about faith. It's easy for us to be confused, perhaps from our upbringing, perhaps from teaching we've had elsewhere that's been a little shaky, that's uh, relied on uh, tradition or, or things that we do. Faith is a gift from God, and it's a powerful new life that we enter when we experience it. When we read the Apostle Paul, one thing we cannot fail to acknowledge, certainly after a while, is his intense love for the churches that he founded and that he nurtured. Paul took his calling as an apostle and as a pastor to heart. We see this in the way he acknowledges and answers the questions that people have. Paul even anticipates some of the questions so that his letters are brimming over with help and encouragement, so that his words are able to accomplish all that he, and more importantly, the Lord, intends. The reason we study scripture systematically here in this church, in, a, in what's called an expository style, that means we seek to open the scriptures and understand what the writer and what God is saying throughout the course of a book. We study like this in order that today we can benefit from the Lord's wisdom and truth in a similar way to the first recipients, in a similar way to the church, the early church. We set the scene. We contextualise. We explain why something is being said. We understand the characters in order that we too are enriched and enlightened and encouraged. And so in today's text, Paul continues to unpack the dynamic and life-changing reality of faith. How central it is to all believers, whether Jew or Gentile, because faith shows us the wonderful grace of God and how we must rest on that amazing and unchanging grace. Such faith is transformative. It brings life and hope and perseverance, things which enable us to keep running life's race and by doing so, bringing much glory to God. So how are you doing today? Are you feeling weary like Abraham? Or perhaps you're tempted to laugh at the idea of trusting God, like Abraham's wife, Sarah. When all is said and done, it is faith, belief and trust in God's promises 
through which God credits us with righteousness. He declares us clean and acceptable in his sight. Friend, if you've been aching for God's forgiveness, then listen to him. Listen to him today. Stop doubting and believe. Let's read together from chapter 4, verse 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised. Not only are the circumcised, uh, not only who are the circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Thanks be to God for his word. If you're taking notes this morning, I've got three F's. Okay. 
three F's. Firstly, what came first? Secondly, faith fulfills the promise. And thirdly, the fruit of faith. Okay, What came first? Faith fulfills the promise. And finally, the fruit of faith. So as, as Paul writes to the church at Rome, he acknowledges and anticipates their questions. Last time, in the first eight verses of chapter 4, we saw how Paul presented a slam-dunk case for salvation being a gift through faith for Jews. Both Abraham, he presented, the patriarch of patriarchs, and their most famous king, King David, were saved by faith through trusting in the promise of grace for God's people. And the Lord calls us into a covenant too. Calls us into an agreement. We supply the sin and the rebellion and he supplies the grace. We must then walk in that. We must walk in that knowledge of our sinfulness and of God's grace to sinners. So the question is, are we walking in that? It's not, a, it's not an assumption. It's not just a, a nice get-out-of-jail-free card. It is the wondrous power of God to change human lives. As Paul continues in the section we've just read, he realises that the Gentiles in the church at Rome, they may now be asking, hold on, okay, so the Jews have their ancestors... And uh, they were saved by grace through faith. But what about us? Do we need to become Jews? Do we need circumcision? Well, if you think about it, that's not really surprising that they're going to come up with these questions, is it? Uh, we know, don't we, that when new converts join the church, they're full of questions. The question is, for us in the church, do we have the gifts and the patience to listen to them and to answer them with kindness and grace. The kind of kindness and grace that Paul shows to the churches that he serves. Often we find that we are all growing in understanding of one another and the extent of the marvellous plan and purpose of God. We, we, aren't fit, we aren't ready, we aren't finished articles. We're all growing together, that's the reality of church. So we may not yet be perfectly patient. We may not yet be perfectly gracious to one another. But the wonder and the beauty of the church is how God calls us all together to be a display of folks learning together the graces and mercies of God. You see, God glorifies himself by bringing together people who, people who from a worldly perspective have no business associating with one another. Right? I hope that one of the reasons that you're excited to belong to this church is the wondrous diversity of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That as we worship and associate, as we befriend one another, as we share one another's burdens, we testify to the singular love and power of God who is at work in everyone who believes. So how does Paul answer the question? Do Gentiles need to become Jews in order to receive the blessing? 
Which came first, the ritual of circumcision or the gift of righteousness by faith? Well, that faith of Abraham's counted as righteousness by God back in Genesis 15 verse 6. That was prior to his circumcision. Paul says here in the text, circumcision was given merely as a seal, as a sign of the righteousness credited to Abraham because he believed in God. We, we know that, don't we? When we look at the Old Testament, we see the purpose of circumcision is to represent the true circumcision, which is circumcision of the heart. Prophet Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 4. Moses in Deuteronomy, the second law. He says, make sure your hearts are circumcised. God's not really worried about whether, you, whether your foreskin's circumcised. If your heart's not circumcised, you might as well do, you can go and do whatever you want. You can go on whatever pilgrimages you want. You can give as much money as you can to charity. You can throw yourself off a cliff. It's all vanity. It's all worthless if your heart is not circumcised, friend. Circumcision was given as a seal to Abraham. You see, Abraham believed God, we're told in Scripture. That's the miracle. That an unbeliever goes from unbelief to belief, from hopelessness to hope. Abraham believed God. He didn't just believe in God. Friends, everyone believes in God. Everyone believes in God. Whether or not they deny this, as atheists do, everyone believes there's a God. Everyone believes that, that there must be a first mover. It's just surely in these creaky, dusty old religions we can't know, possibly know the truth. Look how terrible they are. Those who have received the gift of faith believe God. We believe his promises. We believe his word. And friends, when his word is properly opened up and properly exposited and exegeted, then it makes sense to us. It actually, all the dots join up. It's not an easy task. It's not an easy project. But it is true. It is possible. We can believe his word. Do you trust? Do you believe in God's word? I mean, foundationally, at your core, do you trust God's promises? Are God's promises what you build your life upon? Do you trust God's word, the Bible? Or are these things not enough for you? I mean, when you're looking for a place to live, or when you're looking for a new job, do you consider how that is going to impact your Christian walk? Or your participation in the church community? For example, will you be able to attend Bible study midweek? Will you be able to walk to church on a Sunday? Will you be able to continue serving in the children's ministry? Will you be able to start serving in a new capacity? Friends, faith is everything. Faith comes first. God comes first. If we believe him, why do we so often act as if we don't? 
Friends, we can begin to see how much we trust God by how much of the foundational things in our lives we surrender to God and allow him to influence and guide. How many of your big decisions do you allow God to say in? Is God answering your questions or the questions of your children, your neighbours? Is he answering their questions through you? through the wisdom that he's granting you by his spirit, according to his word. If not, why not? Why not? Friends, faith must come first. Faith must come first. And thankfully it does come first. God gifts faith in order to transform human lives, in order that his name is glorified, unmistakably, Friends, fear not. We can all grow by drawing near to God. The invitation is open. The question is, will we take God up on his great lifetime offer? Notice I didn't say once in a lifetime offer. You hear that a lot, don't you? Once in a lifetime offer, you've got to take it up now, otherwise it's gone. God's offer is a great lifetime offer. Christ's offer is a great lifetime offer. It's open, friends, as long as we have breath. As soon as our ears hear his voice speaking words of grace to us, we are alive in him. Praise God. Hallelujah. We are credited with righteousness just like Abraham, our father. Faith comes first. Secondly, faith fulfills the promise. Saving faith, which is a free gift of God, is the necessary key to obtaining salvation in order that all those who are saved are saved. Saved from among the nations, both circumcised and uncircumcised. This was a big deal for the early church. That's why it's discussed here in Romans. That's why Paul discusses it elsewhere, perhaps most famously in his letter to the churches in Galatia, that region of sort of central southern Turkey, what is now Turkey. They too were asking, do we need to become Jews in order to be saved? You see, some false apostles were adding to the gospel of grace alone by saying that the Galatians needed to be circumcised, that they needed to start observing Jewish ritual practices in order to be acceptable to God. Paul says otherwise, friends. And he says in chapter 3 of that letter to the churches in Galatia, it is those of faith who are children of Abraham. Paul says the scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. On what basis does Paul say that? On the basis that Abraham was saved by faith before he was circumcised. And so Abraham can be the father of us all. Amen. In God's promise that in Abraham the nations would be blessed, It means that all those of faith whose trust is in the promises made and the promises kept in Jesus 
Those people would receive the righteousness of Jesus in that wondrous great exchange. Our lives of sin for Christ's perfect life of obedience. That we might then turn from our sin and start living for him. All those people from whatever background, whatever continent or country, look around at you, your neighbours, friends, any of you, that we might all become his treasured possession. That we might all become something, someone of worth. True, eternal worth. Not some superficial flash in the pan. You know, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. No. But we can have true worth no matter how old we are, no matter how infirm we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what our struggles are. Saved. Because we believe in the promises of God. What about the law? Is it now redundant? That's the next question that comes along. Grace is so good. Grace is so big. Let's forget about the law. The mistake that many make is thinking that because grace, which is greater by far, and is the only lens through which the law becomes something wonderful, think that grace is somehow being dispatched with or dispensed with. But grace really shows us what the primary purpose of the law is. To bring us back to God on our knees. Fully thankful for what Jesus accomplished for us through his obedient life. And at the cross as he hung there and as he died for you and for me. No friends, the law is not redundant. But it is secondary to faith. Those granted the faith that comes from God by grace alone, in Christ alone, can and will grow in their knowledge of and love for God's righteous law. God's law will become increasingly attractive. It will make greater sense. It will reveal God's character more fully. We will see Jesus in it. Did you hear me? We will see Jesus in God's law. How could we not? Because Jesus was a perfectly obedient son who kept the law and fulfilled the law perfectly. Of course we're going to see Jesus in it. And consequently we will desire to walk in it because it pleases our Heavenly Father. Not because we're trying to slavishly tick boxes and earn our salvation. May the Lord help us to grow into people who take him and his word seriously. As the church was growing, as we read in Acts chapter 2, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Then, dear friends, all will come. On every soul. All will come on every soul. As we explore the law and we see how Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle of it. And how the law points to him so majestically. Why would we not want to follow him in it? Friends, according to Paul 
in his letter to the Roman church, all those who have come to the living God and his saviour, Jesus, are saved by faith alone, to the glory of God alone. We do not have to be experts in the law. We do not have to know the significance of past and present rituals and symbols. We just need to trust God when he says, come and find your rest in me. Then he will lead us into all truth. He will lead us into fine pastures where we can grow and raise our own young in the knowledge of God's gracious king and his way. As Paul says, God is the father of us all, verse 16. This God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, verse 17. Are you looking for something new that will never perish, never spoil, and can never be taken from you? Then put your trust in Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead. Put your trust in Jesus, who will have many brothers and many sisters who follow him into eternal glory and blessedness. Those people live lives honouring and glorifying their Heavenly Father. That's my third point this morning, the fruit of faith. So how do we know if we're following Jesus? Well, what does Paul say about the life of Abraham, the father of faith? Well, here in chapter 4 of Romans, Paul points to a newfound fearlessness. Not a casual or reckless arrogance in the face of others, but when we embrace the proper, biblical, reverent fear of God, this promotes fearlessness in every other realm. Every other arena of life bows the knee to King Jesus as he brings every corner of creation under his sway. And this starts with us and our surrender to Jesus. Jesus builds his kingdom one citizen at a time, block by block, person by person, family by family. Has he included you? And uh, I was over with David Daniel and the rest of the uh, Indian Fellowship last night. We were looking at Psalm 2. And in, towards the end of Psalm 2 it says, Therefore kiss the sun whilst you have time. Kiss the sun. That word doesn't just mean kiss necessarily. The same word could be translated a flame. Are you aflame for the sun? Are you passionate for the sun? Have you kissed him? Think back to the Middle Ages where you know the, the, the lords of the realm and the king of the realm, they used to wear a ring, right? And to show your loyalty, you would kiss the ring, right? Have you kissed Jesus' metaphorical ring? Just like Abraham and just like King David, 
we come to know the tender grace and mercy of God. And this strengthens us with fearlessness in the face of our own failure and our own sinful inclinations. We are enabled to take decisions for God. And I'm not talking simply about coming forward at church and praying the sinner's prayer. May he indeed bring us to our knees on such occasions. But I'm talking about God granting us the faith to believe the impossible. Not riding the crest of an emotional wave on a particular day. But having our hearts transformed so that we, we believe deep in our core. And that change that happens to us at that moment of belief, that then changes our whole direction of our lives. Replaces the frustrations and the emptiness which fills us before then. Fills us with fear. Like Abraham and Sarah, believing that at age 100 for Abraham and age 80 for Sarah, that they could have their first child. Think of that for a second. 100-year-old Abraham, 80-year-old Sarah. Not surprising Sarah was laughing, is it? The child of the promise, through whom the blessed line of the promise would continue, eventually leading to the one child who would accomplish and fulfill the hopes and dispel the fears of all the years by crushing the head of the serpent, the seed of the woman, Jesus. Friends, most beautifully for the church at Rome and beautifully for us here in Basildon 2,000 years later, Paul writes that the faith that was counted to Abraham as righteousness, those words were not written for Abraham's benefit alone, nor only for Abraham's physical descendants, the Jews, but they were written for us as well, everyone who would be part of his legacy of faith. Verse 23. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Verse 21. Fully convinced. Hallelujah. Praise God enthroned above. Are you fully convinced this morning? Are you ready to nail your colours to his mast. Friends, true faith, when granted by God, is unshakable. It substitutes our fear of the world, of powers and authorities, our sense of weakness before others. All that, all that is erased by the new fearlessness and fortitude that comes through faith in Jesus. The strength to answer the call of God. The strength to face your workplace tomorrow when all you hear are complaints and swear words. The strength to avoid the places where you stumble and struggle to maintain your witness. The strength to prioritise the things that you know are worthy and are the plan and purpose of God in your life. So are you 
predominantly walking in fearlessness and fortitude through the gift of faith. The first century members of the church at Rome were dealing with, listen to this, the first century members of the church at Rome were dealing with coercion to bow the knee to Caesar. They were facing the brutal reality of slavehood and dangerous overcrowded tenement housing. They faced the reality of epidemics of disease without our modern day health services. They faced the merciless schemes of scammers Friends, scammers didn't just inhabit the internet or our mobile phones. There have been wily deceivers since the dawn of time. Life has not changed much in 2,000 years. There are plenty of reasons to fear, to doubt, to be sceptical, to take it cautiously. But more importantly, there is a saviour who is unchanging in his grace and mercy. Jesus, who Paul says here in chapter 4, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Verse 25. I'll read that again. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Friends, when Jesus was baptised in the river Jordan... He did not need to repent. So why was he baptised? To fulfil all righteousness, Jesus said. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. To fulfil all righteousness. Friends, just as circumcision was the seal to the righteousness granted Abraham by faith, So our baptism is the seal of the righteousness granted us by faith. We identify with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. If you have put your trust in Jesus, who died to cover your sin, then come forward, be baptised, and live fearlessly for him as a true heir of Abraham, strengthened despite your many weaknesses to bear much good fruit to the glory of Christ, the King of all. Let's bow our heads in prayer.